When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Glenn Crooks, and welcome to another episode of NYCFC Views. Roberto Abramowitz, he'll be joining me in a moment. Today, we've got a very special guest, the sporting director for the New York City Football Club, David Lee. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, NYCFC Views. Collins approaches, the shot, and New York City wins the first MLS Cup on their first try, and they're going crazy! Tiracino, y gol! Gol! New York City is el campeón de Major League Soccer! The sickest New York City FC podcast. It's going to be sick. I'm Glenn Crooks uh, and Roberto Abramowitz here as well. Roberto, where are you? There you are. Hey, I just wanted to ask our intros, you know, uh, very cool from the MLS Cup. Why in Spanish? So you said New York City and you said Major League Soccer. Aren't there Spanish translations for that? Yeah, but we don't use them because we don't translate. This is a really good question. We don't translate. You should not translate proper names. Okay, when you go to Mexico, Burger King isn't Rey de las Hamburguesas. It's Burger King. It's a it, it's a trademark <laughs> that, you know, that's a name of the team. That's the right. name of the All league. Right. Uh, and so you respect that. Now, not everybody in Spanish and I would say a majority don't in Mexico, where which is where I grew up. Um, in Televisa, there was an order that you couldn't use like American terms. And so they had to invent all these Mexican terms or Spanish terms for in the NFL, in baseball, and they translated all the team names. And so it was, so the Blue Jays became Los Azulejos, uh, you know, and, but there's some of them that were ridiculous. So yeah. like the Dodgers would be Los Esquivadores and they never did that. The Yankees were Yankees, and they just changed the way that they spelled it. But no, I was never—I never subscribed to that, and right. I have always just held that the names of the teams are the names of the teams. And so, New York Giants are Los New York Giants. I never okay. say Los Gigantes in Nueva York. Yeah, that's it. I don't so know. That's why it's New York City. It's something I've been uh, meaning to ask you. So, well, the New, York, the New York City Football Club has a sporting director, and he's David Lee. So, in, in a moment. Uh, we're going to run the uh, interview in its entirety. Then you and I will respond and react uh, afterwards. But it's pretty interesting. It's uh, you know Maxi Morales coming back, but also Gabby Pedetta departing and getting some details I don't think we heard before. Uh, talk a little bit about Tati Castellanos and the transfer and, and what uh, amount of that transfer the New York City can use for player acquisitions and go into detail there, what he can use and can't. The disappointment of uh, the performances this season of Tylus Magno, who uh, simply could not be a nine, but could Neymar, and he uh, kind of diffuses the Neymar uh, Neymar thing a little bit. Oh uh, come on, you had to you had to do that seriously. Don't you know how to tease anything? 
Don't you know how you should have said, Oh, I wonder what number he's going to get. And you know, well, people would have tuned in. Now they're going to tune out. They're, they're done. Out. They're well, done, listen, Glenn. Listen to his explanation. Saudi Arabia, are they going to uh, uh, is that going to be a challenge for MLS? Fourth DP, is that reality? Budget rule changes. Messy. What does it mean for the league? Uh, are the sporting directors a little concerned with how that happened? And you're, so uh, that's that's the end of my tease. You want to hear it? That's you, you. You diffuse the bomb. It's not about diffusing the bomb. It's setting it up, teeing it up. And here he is, sporting director <laughs> David Lee. Uh, this interview taking place on Wednesday. Here you go. All right, we've got a special guest now on NYCFC Views. Uh, really appreciate the time and uh, the insight from David Lee, sporting director for the New York City Football Club. David, how are you? Uh, the, the window recently closed, so I'm wondering if your life is uh, at least a little less stressful. Yeah, hey, Glenn, good to see you again. Um, a little less hectic, that's for sure. It's been a busy, busy couple of months um, in the build-up to the window and then obviously throughout. So, yeah, slightly less hectic, slightly more time for, for lots of other things going on, whether it's second team, academy, all the other things that, that need to get done around the club. But, um, but yeah, a little less hectic, a little bit more sleep now, which is, uh, which is nice. Yeah, I just to give everybody a, a, the the visual uh, on the road when David travels with the team and we're there and there's not much time to talk because he's always looking into his phone. That's 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 yeah. my uh, that's what I have burned into my memory. <laughs> my, my my phone, as my wife will say, is my best friend. Uh, I spend a lot of time either looking at it, talking to it, or uh, yeah, or, or whatever needs to get done. So it's uh, yeah, permanent fixture <laughs> picture in my hand. It really makes you wonder, you know, the difference of doing business uh, in soccer now than 15 or 20 years ago, 25 years ago. It really uh, it is pretty interesting because everything is so immediate. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine what life would have been like 15, 20 years ago. Lots of faxes, lots of, uh, you know, lots of phone calls from your office. But, you know, being able to do a lot it all digitally now makes makes it a lot easier, makes it much quicker. Um, you can obviously reach people anytime. And so you can get get a lot more answers uh answers quicker which is helpful all right let's uh let's review some of the the players incoming and and some other things about this uh, this job you have as sporting director maxi morales right off the top he left unexpectedly at the end of the 2022 season and now he's been re reacquired for the remainder of 2023 so let, let's talk about getting maxi back and and how that all worked uh, we understand there weren't many minutes at rossing club uh, he had incentive to go back there, but now he's had incentive to, as he's stated on social media, to come back home to New York City. So how did this all happen? Yeah, it certainly wasn't one of the ones we were expecting to happen in the window when we when we looked at it. Um, you know, Maxi returning wasn't something on our radar when he left in December. And I will remember the conversation when he came to my office in December at the end of last year to say that he wanted to go back to Argentina. And it was a big, big shock, big surprise. It wasn't something that we planned on or expected. Um, but ultimately, at that point, we felt like, you know, it was the right thing to do. Maxi was very set that this was what he really wanted and what his heart um, wanted, wanted to do. And so from our perspective, we then had to um, try and accommodate. Um, and really, you know, I'd stayed in touch with Maxi, wished him the best before games. He'd done the same um, around around some of our performances this year. 
and it was maybe a week, ten days before the end of the end of the transfer window. He he, he sent me a message. Uh, I woke up to a message early morning and asking if uh, if he could chat to me later on that day. And so um, that really kickstarted the process. And he he reached out and said, look, he'd enjoyed being back in Argentina. He'd he'd accomplished what he wanted to accomplish and play for his boyhood team. I know he's spoken about there being a debt, um, and and he wanted to repay the debt to Racing for everything they did. And and but you know really he. He describes New York as home, both for him and his family and his children. New York's his home. And, and so his, uh, his his conversation with us was, is it possible for me to return home? Um, and so following that, there was a lot of discussion on our end. How do we make it work? Um, of course, Max is an unbelievable player, fantastic ambassador. Um, you know, it's only eight months ago he was performing at such a high level in in the playoffs, you know, in some of our some of our best performances. And so, you know, we knew from an on-pitch side what he would give us, but we also understood the team's different now. You know, the, the, the locker room is different. We've got a lot of young players. Um, and so we had to really assess and have a chat with Maxi about what his role on and off the pitch would be if he did return. Um, and so we had lots of those conversations, both me and Nick, and uh, obviously then felt really, really comfortable with with what Maxi was able to bring bring for us. And and that became a, a key thing to try and get accomplished before the end of the deadline and delighted that, that he's now back back home. And it was amazing to see him and give him a hug and, and welcome him back uh, back in person this week. Well, you can see that the supporters are, are thrilled that uh, Maxi is back and uh, under different terms, obviously, contractually. I don't want specific numbers, but uh, it, it wasn't real clear. Uh, is it through the end of this year and into next year Uh What's uh, the commitment for Maxi in New York City FC? Yeah, so he's under contract until December of 2024. No option years past that. The discussion with Maxi is, you know, you're here now for the 18, next sort of 18, 17 months. Um, and then we'll reassess from there. Um, you know, we, we know when players get to a certain age, and I, I hope Maxi won't uh, won't take offense to, to me saying he's at that age where for us it's best to go on, a, on an almost year-to-year basis. It also didn't make sense for us to bring him back just to the end of the season, you know, because um, ultimately we see him as a part of the group next year and into next year and adding real value to us as a club. And so uh, for both of us, I think it made sense to to get that commitment through next year and um, and him be part of part of both the remainder of the 2023 season and then help, helping us uh, to shape the team again for 2024. On the field, he's a clear number 10. Santi Rodriguez sort of taking the reins. You acquired Richie Ledesma. Uh, as Nick Cushing said earlier, uh, upon the acquisition, he sees him more as a 10. So it seems like there's a, a bit of a glut in that area. I, I know there's always that uh, narrative, you can't have too many good players, but how is this all going to work? Yeah, I think it's going to shake out over the next days and weeks. Um Ultimately, the reality is, yeah, we can't have enough good players um, and good attacking players that can make a difference. I think both both Santi and Richie have shown, you know, they can be fantastic players in MLS, create chances, create goals, score goals. Maxi has done that since his time here. Um, I think as we looked at it, we didn't look at it as bringing somebody in um, to replace either of those players. You know, we signed Santi on a long term contract and he's, in, in our opinion, the present and the future of our football club. Um, and so for us, you know, Maxi's coming to help those guys develop and help them improve and help them um, develop their own games, given his, his wealth of experience that he has. And so um, how it all shakes out on, on the field, I think, is still to be determined. You know, I think we've played a back three oftentimes with almost two number 10s or two winger number 10s. So it's possible to get two winger 10s on the pitch uh, behind a striker. Um, so I think there's a whole bunch of ways that, that we might be able to structure it. And ultimately, it's going to give Nick and the coaching staff more options as they build and prepare for each week for each oppo- opponent to structure the team 
in the way that will give us the best chance of getting the results that we need. Now I want to talk about off the field with Maxi. So Maxi was gone. Uh, Tati Castellanos, he's been gone for a while, but a leader, Alexander Collins, Sean Johnson. So in a short period of time, uh, you lost four players, not only up the gut, you know, the, the spine of, of your team, but perhaps the, the greatest leadership group as well. Maybe that's been lacking a little bit this year. Do you have an expectation that Maxi's going to be able to maybe provide the galvanizing force that can help in these final 10 games? Yeah, so I, I, the first thing I'd say is you probably also missed Anton out of that, who who also left and was a, was another key sort of experienced uh, leader type figure who had been right. in our locker room for a number of years. Um, and so, yeah, look, we 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 know we knew we were going to lose probably a fair amount of experience and particularly MLS experience uh, in the off season. Um, so you know, but we were also not expecting Maxi to come in and be a savior and, and add everything off the pitch that, that we may need. I think we've seen tremendous leadership development in Tiago Martins, in Keaton Parks, in James Sands this year, because they've had to step up and take in bigger roles. And, you know, to be honest, I think they're ready to take on bigger roles and more leadership that when you have those senior players, it's difficult for some of the other players to take more leadership because those, those older players naturally assume it. So, um, I, you know, we're not expecting Maxi to come in and all of a sudden take over some of the work that's been happening in the background with some of our players. However, you know, the fact that he is experienced, he does have leadership qualities, he really enjoys mentoring young players, he's fantastic off the pitch with uh, with, with all of the players and all of the staff was another reason why we wanted to bring him back because we do think his experience will help us going into the last 10 games of the season and, and then towards the playoffs. I mentioned Tati Castellanos, and I'd like to discuss that a little bit. Uh, good business move. Uh, we've talked about the fact that it was a bit of a risk to loan him to Girona and hope that he would perform at a level that he could be uh, sold for the amount that the club uh, really had anticipated. And it's Lazio. Uh, it's you know reportedly, I, I think you, you put it uh, in, in the press release, we're going to figure uh, – plus $15 million on that transfer to uh, Lazio. But I was surprised when we were talking one day and you said that, um, and I want to make sure I have this accurate, the MLS budgetary shackles, that of that money that you uh, uh, have obtained uh, from that transfer, you're only allowed to use $1 million for future player acquisitions. Do I have that right? And then what happens with the rest of the money that uh, you attain? Yeah, so before I answer the MLS question, I'll talk for a second about Tati, if that's okay. Um, yeah, that's okay. I, I think, um, as you, you mentioned in the question, um, a little bit of a risk la last year in loaning him to Girona. And I think it was, while, while it can be considered a risk, because I think perhaps maybe it was in some ways, we also just had tremendous belief and faith in Tati. And we felt like the market wasn't valuing him correctly. Um, and so, you know, I think there are an awful number of teams uh, that, are now regretting the decision not to buy him 12 months earlier um, when when we were more open to do business because ultimately he's only gone and shown what we believed he would, which is that he is a fantastic player that can play at the highest levels in Europe and perform and score goals. Fantastic character, work great, um, still so young, can still develop even further. Um, and I'm incredibly proud to have played a very, for us as a club, to have played a very small part in Tati's journey. Um, you know, and and I think for us as a both locally here in New York, but also for us as City Football Group, you know, our team down in Montevideo, you know, identified Tati as a player. Um, 
initially recruited him. You know, we spent the sort of best years of his development time in New York and we helped him become and he helped himself to become one of the best players in MLS, Golden Boot winner, helped us win an MLS Cup. Um, and then to, you know, have the opportunity to then go to Europe um, is, is absolute just reward for how hard he works and his development and is something that hopefully we can see far happen far more for a number of our players and for any of our players who who saw Tati and work with Tati they know that he deserves this and so I'm really proud for Tati I'm delighted for him that he will that he'll play in the Champions League he'll play at a fantastic club in Lazio in a great city um, and I'm delighted that that you know we were right and, and, and eventually we got um, the, the the value that we felt was more reflective of his market value and, and his talent um, than we were able to get 12 months ago. And, and the spell in Girona absolutely helped that. Um, to answer the second question, yeah, you're, you're, you're roughly exactly right. So it's a slightly more than a million dollars, but essentially every of, of every outgoing player transaction when you sell a player abroad, um, approximately just over $1 million is eligible to be taken as allocation money, which which is really additional salary budget space that you can spend on spend on players within the salary cap. Um, the remainder of the money goes to our business. And so we can use that to fund um, discretionary spend on DPs or under 22 players or on our academy or other areas of the club. Um, but it's not money that can actually directly impact uh, from a salary cap side the, the, the players um, that are within our roster right now. Sporting Director David Lee, New York City Football Club. So Tati Castellanos came in as a winger. You developed him into a striker. Uh, the, the staff deserves great credit for that. Ronnie Dylan, Nick Cushing, and others. Then it's Tylus Magno, who started to play the nine at the end of the 2022 season, seemed to be catching on. And I'm wondering, was there an assumption or did you anticipate – that Tylus was going to be able to slip into that nine position and do it effectively and continue to grow because I, you know, you know, based on the performance and, and, and the shift from the striker to the wing, and now you have Monsef Bakrar, who you've uh, brought in recently. Uh, can you just discuss that a little bit? Tylus Magno is a nine, and it, it, that did not seem to work out. And, and were, you were you hoping for better, you know, in that position? Yeah, I think so. When we signed Talas originally, Talas, you know, growing up through um, through the academy, had played he played, but mainly as a number nine um, in a four four two. So mainly, sort of as a nine second striker. Um, both and then in Brazil under seventeen World Cup was a number nine, um, and you know, but then made his debut as a senior player in Brazil as a winger, um, which is quite common. You know, there's very very few players, um, young players in Brazil who start their, who are strikers who start their career as number nines. Um, so um, ultimately, you know, as you said, after Tati left in, in midsummer last year, we obviously had Eber, um, Talez played, um, played as a number nine as well. And going into the season, um, the, the plan was for Talez to help in both positions. You know, we were looking to acquire a striker um, in, in the primary transfer window, weren't able to find the right one at the right price that we could bring in. Um and so, you know, ultimately, Talez ended up just sort of starting the season in that position. I think Talez will probably be the first to admit he's had a challenging season so far and probably hasn't played as well as both he and we would have liked. Um, I think there are a number of factors for that. But we're talking about a 20-year-old boy um, still because uh, he's played so many games. We see, you, you know, we think of him as, as somebody that's so much older than 20 years old. And it's very, very normal for young players to have these 
sort of peaks and dips in their career. And it's our job to try to manage through those um, and give them the confidence to be able to, to perform and play um, at, at the level they're capable of. And you know, this is a player as well who, who we saw last season was a fantastically impactful player in MLS. So we know he has the talent. We know he has the ability. Um, you know, Ultimately, we probably didn't see enough out of him as a number nine um, right at the beginning of the season, which is why you know we saw Santi play there, Richie played there. Obviously, Gabe has played a number of games there as well. Um, but you know, heading into the summer market, it was clear as clear as it was in the primary window that we wanted to make sure that we added a number nine, and, and we're delighted now that Munsef is is in the team and um, has, has, has already started. In our opinion, really, really brightly over his first couple of games for the club. He does look like a nine, the way he. Uh carries himself the way he kind of stays you know in that 44 yard width area you know he's, he doesn't stray too much wide and um, he, he seems to have his first three shots for the club were all on goal two four saves and then his first finish so uh, y- you like what you've seen I, I think he's been um, yeah I think he's been excellent in his first couple of games um, we know it's still early he's He's arrived to us still in his preseason, um, and so we know there's going to be um, going to be more development to come. He's got to get fitter, more endurance in him. Um, however, I think his performances have been really, really encouraging. I think Munster's also, you know, a little bit of a unique example in for us, um, and sometimes how challenging it can be to find not just a good player, but the right player for us in our system. Um, and Munster has fantastic technical quality. He's good with his back to goal. However, for us, in the way that we play, we've got a lot of players who like the ball to their feet. And we wanted to find a striker who, whose also natural movement was to move away from the ball. And so we've seen a lot, his runs in behind, his movement in behind. And that's not super typical, right? It's not super typical of most number nines. And so, um, you know, there was a big part of the attraction for him was how good he is off the ball, um, both in, in possession, his work off the ball, his movement, his runs, his technical ability is excellent. He's a good finisher. He's only been one year outside Algeria, so he's still got huge amounts of room to develop and improve. Um, and equally, you know, the this sort of the, the the cherry on the cake for us was was how fantastic his work rate is when when not in possession. His amount, the amount of pressing he does, is going to allow us to to press even higher. You know, it's something that that Tati did really, really well and really effectively for us. Um, and we're certainly not trying to replace Tati because I think that that would be a uh, that would be an almost impossible job. Um, however, we want to find a player who who fits what we need. Um, and it became really trying to find a find a striker who who was as comfortable receiving the ball to feet and attacking the game in that way, but also could provide a real threat in behind with his pace and his movement. And Amunso's had a really good start. Um, we've got a lot, a lot of work to, and development to do with him, of course. Um, but he's also a fantastic character in our in our dressing room as well. I was delighted for him to to score on his debut. Um, was was re- was really beneficial for him. Um, and now we're just looking forward to to hoping hoping to continue to see him take steps in in his development and his career in New York. Well, there's another forward in the news, David. I'm sure this will cause a smile. Uh, Neymar and uh, you know he told PSG apparently that uh, he doesn't want to return. Uh, some reports have him in Barcelona. And of course, there's these other reports that MLS and New York City FC uh, could ultimately be involved. I'm good. I just want to give a hypothetical because I think the last time we talked on record, you said pretty definitively that the bringing in the big names was not the way New York City Football Club wants to operate. But here's a hypothetical. Don Garber, you know, flies to Paris, wherever Neymar is. Then he meets with Farron Soriano. And he tells Farron, look, 
Neymar wants to be in the city. He wants to come to MLS. We have to try to figure this one out. Is you know based on your philosophy, but also based on the philosophy of MLS and and with Messi's emergence now, um, is that something that could possibly uh, occur? And again, that's hypothetical. Could be any big name player. So I would say I don't think I've ever. You may be able to disprove this, but I don't think I've ever been definitively stating that big name players won't be in New York because I think that would be um, wrong. Firstly, I don't think that would be that would be fair to say that that's um, that, that will happen. I think it's clear that we've shifted from that philosophy from the 2014, 15, 16 years um, into investing in sort of younger players. Um, the reality is we'll look at every opportunity we possibly can, big name player or not, um, to see if they can help improve, improve the group, improve the team. They're the right cultural fit all the other factors, um, if we can find the, the right player who's going to help our, our club on the pitch and off the pitch, we'll always look at that. In this scenario, I think it's quite clear. Our transfer window's closed. He's under contract with PSG. There's nothing to discuss. So you can't sign players outside the transfer window. So um, th- this one uh, th- this one for me is, is quite simple. Um, he's obviously an unbelievable, fantastic player, but there's there's been nothing uh, nothing of actual uh, fact or anything happening happening around that for me and our transfer window is now closed so uh, the only players that that can still be signed up until roster freeze are those who are or were free agents before the close of the window all right good answer how about let's talk about guys that are in uh you lost gabby Pedetta unexpectedly we talked about maxi barrales earlier now gabby Pedetta, he was your leading scorer is at the time six goals three assists so he's gone to qatar uh julian fernandez a 19 year old from argentina a Costa Rican, Alonso Martinez. Uh, so these two young players, uh, maybe Fernandez more than uh, the other uh, Martinez, uh, is he more the the like for like, or or at least the the replacement for Pereira? Yeah. So I'll talk a bit, a little bit about Gabby uh, first, because I think you know, as you said, it was an unexpected transaction going into the window. Um, we weren't, we didn't want to to move Gabby. We weren't expecting to. Um, and, you know, obviously Al Rayan expressed some interest in the player um, and we turned down many bids over the course of five to seven days um, because we really wanted to keep Gabby at the club. He's obviously an important player um, for us, performing really well. Um, and it went up and up to and including, you know, Al Rayan making their best and final bid as it was and, and us saying it wasn't enough and it didn't make sense for us. Um and so, uh, so we turned it down, you know, and, it, and, uh, and then 24 hours later, the, the best and final bid increased again. Um, and it reached, it reached a point where we felt as a club, the, the value uh, that we had on the player had been surpassed. Um, and obviously Gabby wanted to, wanted to take the move, uh, for, for, for his own reasons. Um, and so then it became about trying to see if, if it made sense to do that. One of the reasons why we ultimately felt like it, it would make sense um, for the for the club right now, other than the value that we received, um, was that it was early enough in the transfer window that provided us enough time to go out and sign a replacement. Um, and so, you know, Julian is a is a player that we're really familiar with. Um, we actually watched. Um, you know, we only signed Gabby eighteen months ago, nineteen months ago, um, and so you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were actually looking at U22 left-footed wingers and we ended the process with signing signing Gabby. Um, but Julian was in that process at that time. So he's a player that we tracked, that we followed and monitored. Um, and at that point, Julian was an 18-year-old. I think he had not yet broken through, was just about to break through in Velez um, at the time when we when we signed Gabby originally. Um, 
And so, you know, for us at that point, we felt like it was a little too early for him. Um, however, somebody that we, we stayed stayed on the radar um, and, you know, with Gabby them, you know, moving only 18 months after being here, that, you know, that was sort of our first, our first port of call was let, actually let's go back and look at the players that we also liked and went through the process with Gabby to see if any of those might be suitable. And, um, and Julian quickly became our, our, our first choice target. Um, he's obviously now played 50, 60 games in Argentina um, at, at a high level. He's only 19. You know, one thing I've been keen to stress is, you know, he's two and a half years younger than Gabby is, you know, now. And he's one and a half years younger than, than Gabby was when he arrived. Um, and so is he a direct replacement in a number of ways? Yes, he's a left footed winger. He's going to wear number 11. Um, he's a U22 player that we probably only would have signed with Gabby leaving. But it's just, you know, I know I've said to you in the past, I don't like talking about players replacing because, you, you don't replace individual players. The, the job is to hopefully add uh, for us to learn Julian and for Julian to learn us so that we can add value to each other, you know? And so um, he'll take a, you know, we expect him to take a very similar role on the pitch, um, but he's only 19, 19 and a half. You know, he's going to need some time to adapt like most young, young players do. Gabby didn't come in and start immediately when he, when he joined. And so, you know, um, of course he's coming in at a critical time where we know, um, we know we need results. We need performances. Um, and we, we, and we, we believe that Julian will be able to add, add to us. Um, but he's also assigning for, for now and the long term. And, and we're really excited about being able to bring him in. And, um, like I say, if, if the Gabby transaction had happened later, um, or the offer had come later, maybe it wouldn't have made sense for us because we wouldn't have had that time to make sure that we signed a, a player that could play in his position before the window closed. Are you at all concerned or what's your feeling about now? Qatar is the Middle East, so but I'm going to refer more to Saudi Arabia and Zellerayan, maybe the most recent uh, out of Columbus, you know, with these massive contracts and money figures that they're offering players. Is this something that MLS should be concerned about as uh, you're out? Uh, I guess you just have to scour a little bit more thoroughly or, or what? I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. I think it's normal in football. There'll be emerging markets all the time um, that come and you know invest in their product. I think having another league um, that is investing in players is, is never a bad thing. Is it an impact? I think it will have an impact. Yes, there'll be some players who choose to move to Saudi Arabia instead of coming to MLS that could be options. But equally, I think it's an opportunity. Obviously, we sold sold Gabby to Qatar and not Saudi Arabia. But you know, equally, it opens up the possibility for us to play a trade where historically, probably, you know, somebody like Gabby would have we would have only had a market to potentially trade in Europe. Now it opens up another avenue to potentially trade players with and, and to generate more profits that then can help to go and reinvest in in the team. And I think another thing that happened with, with Gabby is you know. It's a it's a little bit of MLS roster minutia, but you know Gabby takes up a U twenty two spot, um, and so when Gabby were to depart, um, what it opens up is another U twenty two spot, which is another way that we can go and invest in a player. Um, when you sell a salary cap player, you only have the amount of money that they occupied in the salary cap to go and replace. And usually, if you're selling a player who's in the salary cap, whether it's Jack Harrison or Joe Scally or Tati you've got a much smaller budget to go and replace them because they're usually outperforming their salary cap. And that's the reason why they're selling them. Whereas Gabby, you know, it's a U22 spot. And so we can go and pay a transfer fee for a player and they occupy the exact same budget charge, the exact same roster spot. Um, and so that, I think that's a, that, that was another reason why we felt confident, even with a short time frame. you know, Gabby happened in the middle of the window while we were still trying to complete three, four, five other deals 
and we had to essentially start a search from from almost scratch um we still felt we could do it because um because we knew we had the resources available with the u22 spot to, to to go and do it the other part that i think um is i think mls deserves a huge amount of credit for is you know the reason the u22 initiative was invented was for the gabriel Pereira situation it's to invest in good, high-talent, young players that can come in, impact your team, and then you can develop to sell, um, to generate uh, to generate more uh, more revenue for, for us as clubs and participate in the transfer market. Of course, it's disappointing when it happens and it's happening mid-season and you have to manage all of the different aspects of that transfer. But is you know, Gabby, for me, is a perfect example of a player um, who, who, who epitomizes what the U22 initiative was brought in for um, and, you know, probably would have loved to have had him for longer than 18 months. Um, but that's not, what, that's not what the situation brought us. And so we had to, we had to make a move um, when the offer came to the level it did. And, um, you know, now we wish Gabby the, the, the best moving forward in, in his new club and his new environment. And uh, as we come to a close here, David, uh, uh, you mentioned Joe Scally. So kudos to the club homegrown developed him and uh, now still getting paid off as he uh, continues to move and we'll see what his next step is too but uh, there's rumors of the league adding a fourth uh, designated player which I suppose is not shocking uh, and maybe extending the roster budget and um, do you see a path towards MLS without a salary cap or this strict budget or do you think uh, it's necessary to have you know, a certain structure or rules within the budget to, uh, to, to kind of maintain this current competition parity. What's your feeling on that? Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the driving factors behind MLS, and I think one of the most attractive parts is, 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 is competitive balance. I, I prefer competitive balance to parity um, because I think there, you know, every team is not even teams do spend more or less on DPs or U22 players, but, Power, uh, competitive balance between the teams, I think, is a positive thing for the league overall. Um, I will say, I'm, I, you know, they they don't, or the sporting directors usually are not involved in the discussions around how the league might change the roster structure or the roster regulations, roster rules. Uh, those happen at the committees a, a, above us. Although, of course, we might be asked our opinion um, every now and again. I think our job is to construct the roster as competitively as it can be within the rules that we're given. Um, and so, you know, our job is to use the the mechanisms they give us to build the best roster we possibly can. Um, I've mentioned previously, you know, one of the, one of the downsides to that is when you've been a historically successful team as we had been over a number of years, that generally means um, you have a smaller budget players that have been with you want more money than you're able to afford. Um, and that usually ends up with, um, Maybe the turnover we've experienced in a very, very short period of time is is more than others. Um, but usually over a period of a year or two, you end up with quite a lot of turnover when you've been successful uh, for a period. That's just one of the rules. You know, we just have to my job is to manage within that and build a team that can can be competitive um, within that within those those rules. I think the league is continuing to evolve and develop. So do I see a world where new rules are created, new new things happen at, Absolutely. I think the league has proven, you know, U22 initiative was the was the latest, um, you know, addition to our rule set. But we had TAM before that. You know, there's a whole bunch of things where the league is continually trying to drive and push uh, to produce a better product within the parameters of competitive balance. Um, and, you know, and, and I have full full trust and faith in the league that, that they'll continue to find ways that can help us be competitive on the global stage without compromising some of the core um, core fundamentals of our league. 
Do you have any notion at all that things may make a move in one direction uh, or another? And uh, as we really wrap, you have to add Messi to this equation and this conversation. And that's where uh, whatever the most recent budget meeting was. I think Farron Soriano's on one of these committees, isn't he? Um, and uh, I, I'm just curious if, if you just have a feel for, yeah, first of all, Messi and what the rest of the league and sporting directors are thinking about that. Uh, plus maybe you're all saying, well, this is a good thing. It's going to draw more interest and, and, and maybe this is going to make things a a little bit more adequate. A couple of questions in there. So I'll try and pass them out. Um, so the first one would be, um, I don't think, we know if, when, how the rules will change. Um, I think the league is evaluating, but that's nothing uncommon. The league is constantly evaluating our rules um, to try to see how we can uh, spend our dollars most effectively to build the best product we possibly can uh, within a framework as agreed by the owners. Um, and so the, the relevant MLS committees will, will discuss all of those things. Um, do I think there is a chance that things move more quickly with the addition of a Messi or, or some of the other things that have happened in the league, the Apple deal, all those types of things. Potentially, yes, but I think also potentially not. You know, uh, I'm certainly not fortunate enough to be able to, to be involved in those in those conversations to get any to get any uh, type of um, advance notice of, of things that might change. Um, but I, I you know I know the league is evaluating. But again, that's nothing unusual. Um, I think for the league to try to see if if there are ways to modify our rules. Um, to, to ultimately bring a, bring, bring a better product. And Messi, I mean, just what an unbelievable story, right? I'm sure you've seen the games. I think they've become absolute must-see TV. Um, it's an, amazing for MLS, amazing for Apple TV. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's an interesting one because it's no surprise that a player who was the best player at the World Cup eight months ago is going to be very, very good playing against MLS and Liga MX teams, right? Like, that's not a surprise. However, we've all seen, you know, big-name players, important players come to the league, and they've not had the immediate impact that somebody like Messi has. Now, maybe, you know, Messi probably is the greatest of all time, right? And so, you know, there's only one of those, and that's probably him. And so maybe, again, even with the Beckhams, the Henri's, Davivias, uh, Andrea Pirlo's, uh, Didier Drogba's, Kaká's, all those players, you know, maybe Messi's just... E- probably is on a completely different level to or even all of those unbelievable world superstars. Um, but it's just been amazing to watch. And, and um, you know, I, I'm excited we get to play them in, in, in later, later on this season. Um, hopefully we can, we can come up with something that can, that can stop him or at least slow him down a little bit. Um, but it has been amazing, amazing to watch. Amazing for the league. Um, full credit to Jorge Mas, Jose Mas, David Beckham, Chris Henderson, all of the staff down in Miami to be able to, to bring Messi to the league. It's, it's an amazing thing for us in MLS. Um, and it's, and he has just been absolute lights out in every game. And, uh, it's been a joy to watch. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing if Maxime Chanel goes like face to face with him or something. He tries to, uh, you know, get him we, there. We, we, we've got a few Argentinians on the team who I'm sure are going to be really excited to, to see him to play against him. Um, but ultimately, you know, when, when the 90 minutes starts, our jobs to stop, just to, to, to try to find some way to, to stop him from, uh, from, from hurting the teams as he's doing right now. And, uh, as, as what he has shown, 
going to be really, really difficult because he can hurt you in so many different ways. Um, and he's just an unbelievable player. And uh, but I'm looking forward to us 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 uh, playing against him and the rest of the Miami team, which is which is excellent. You know, which is excellent. They've also added Busquets, who's been fantastic. Alba, the three U22 players they signed. You know, they've done a great job in in the summer, and um, and they're going to be a really competitive team the rest of this season and and, and into next year as well for sure. Well, that matches on September the 30th, David, and you know, it, and it's hard not to get excited about it. You know, you're, you know, we're professionals. You work for this club. You're the sporting director, but yeah, I'm sure you had your schedule set for that uh, first night and saw that free kick. Where were you watching that? Just at home? I, w- I was at home, yeah. And uh, my my uh, my wife and children were out, and I was texting them during the game, going, "Oh my goodness, you are not going to believe what just what, what just happened." Uh, you know, it was I mean ho- Hollywood scripts, probably similar to the Zlatan Zlatan sort of introduction right. in, the, in the LA derby a few years ago. Just 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 amazing, um, amazing. It was a it was a moment. To, it was absolutely a moment to, to behold. But it also the reality is. His performances even since then have just kicked up a gear, and 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 he's you know just producing at, su- at such a high level, and uh, yeah, do, doing a doing a fantastic job. Well, David, uh, you were so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the supporters do too. That uh, get a really a thorough explanation here of how things are working behind the scenes and uh, the challenging job uh, that you have. So thank you so much, and uh, good luck those final ten games and the push for the playoffs. Thanks, Glenn. We've got we've got a lot of work to do, but uh, but we're excited for these last ten games. Um, push for the playoffs begins begins now. Uh, next next week at Minnesota, and uh, we'll be ready to go. And uh, again, that was David Lee. He was at the training facility. I was at the headquarters in New York City as uh, we talked through some of the things that the sporting director goes through and. Primary transfer window. I, I found it interesting, Roberto. Uh, during that window, they definitely wanted a striker. And he talked about the disappointment of Tylus Magno not really working out in that position, as we all saw. And then he was kind of pushed out back to the wing. And then Munsef Bakrar comes in uh, the secondary window. So there was still a search for a striker at that time. But um, it, it was clear that uh, they were hoping Magno would fill the role. Oh, for sure. And it didn't work out. They try to catch lightning in a bottle twice. And it just goes to show, really, how special Tati Castellanos is because of the fact that he came in as a winger and they were able to teach him how to become a center forward. Not that he hadn't done it a little bit in the past. He had. But I, we remember and we've spoken to Nick about this and we, you know, with David and others, you know, how Tati, how undisciplined he was as a center forward because he kept on going, chasing the ball, wanting to be involved and not being in the right place at the right time. And they literally had to teach him to say, there's one post, there's the other. You have to stay between those two. We need to find you there. That's where you're supposed to be. And once he absolutely learned how to do that, he developed and he became absolutely lethal. So they were hoping to do that with Tyler Magno, but it didn't quite work out. They're different players. It's not that, you know, I don't want to say that it's poor on Tyler's not be able to not being able to do that. And maybe at some point he would be able to learn. But for Tati, it was a much easier, it was much easier for him to adapt to that than it had been for Tyler's. And look, the, the team really, really thought that it was going to be able to happen. It never really did. And because of it, they didn't have plan B. You know, Gabe Siegel was there, but he's extremely raw. He's got to learn a lot as well. And the fact that uh, now they had to go out of the summer transfer window and address an issue. Well, the way uh, David uh, put it, uh, Tyler Magno was uh, 
expected to help in both positions because they were looking for that primary striker. And I think the fact that, uh, and Nick has said this too, and, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a legitimate point that he's only 20 years old and uh, mm-hmm. he still has room to, to grow in terms of maturity. Uh, yeah. I think sometimes it's almost like, you know, when I, when I coached at Rutgers and, and you walk past the football players and they look like, you know, grown men, you know, they're built and, you know, they're just, they just look like, but they're 18 year old kids that are making stupid freshman decisions, you know, and, <laughs> and, and you just, um, I think there's something to that. So uh, yeah, I'm hoping, I mean, I'm hoping Tyler's Mano gets, you know, more of an opportunity because, you know, he, he kind of fell out of the 11 as well along the way. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. For, for sure. Let's also understand. Okay. Tati Castellanos, what is it? He's 25 now, right? So the, the five years professionally is a huge amount of time. So I'm not saying that Tyler can't learn that position or can't get better as a winger. For sure he can. For New York City, he absolutely must. Because when you look at this team, you have to understand that Tyler Magno is probably the single most talented player that they have. Sadly, he hasn't lived up to his expectations. And maybe part of it was because they were trying to teach him a new position and all of that, and things just got lost along the way. But he and did. Oh, he's yeah, got a, you know, he, no, but he's going to be playing. But and listen, playing Roberto, playing on the wing. Let me just interrupt He's got to get better. Yes, can, go. Can you hear me? I, so uh, <laughs> you have to be able oh, to can I hear you. you. This has to be like we're at dinner on the road where I interrupt you, you interrupt me. You got to let it happen, man. So anyway, but, <laughs> but one, one point David made is that he played striker more in a twin striker situation with the U-17s in Brazil. So it, it's not like a completely foreign position to him. So uh, beyond that, uh, Maxi Morales, the thing uh, I learned, and maybe it was common knowledge, I didn't know this, is that Maxi contacted the club. It wasn't the other way around. And you heard David Lee describe it as like, this is not expected. We didn't pursue this. And uh, it didn't seem to take too much time to uh, get Maxi back into the fold, obviously with a with a different sort of contract. But he really wanted to come back, as he puts it, home. So I thought that was interesting. It's it's very interesting, and, and I think this is a family decision as well. Because uh, outside one of the games during the early part of summer, uh, I ran into his wife, and uh, mm-hmm. she she and I have become friendly, and we chat every so often when I see her after games. She's so lovely. And uh, I was like, hi, what are you doing here? And she goes, no, I came to visit. And um, and I was like, so my, are you guys coming back? She goes, oh, I, I really don't know, but I really love it here. And she's expressed wow. in yeah. the past how much she really loves New York City. Now, here's the difference, okay? Maxie, Maxie himself is more of a I want to live in the countryside you know, with a lot of space, my, my two dogs have, you know, a whole bunch of space to roam, you know, and she's like a city rat. She's like, I love New York City. I love Manhattan and all that. So, I mean, they've been living out in Connecticut. I don't know if he lost his house or he kept it. I don't know what they did. Um, yeah, but uh, interesting too. I heard I heard I that they ask him. Yeah, I heard they may have kept it. I, I, I They may have kept it, which if they really kept that house, that almost means like, well, you know, maybe we'll, we'll be coming back here shortly. Well, not shortly, but, you know, who knows? 
Well, that's interesting with Maxie and the family thing and running into his wife. And uh, it makes sense to have him back. And and now, uh, you know, what role he'll play exactly, I think that remains to be seen. And that was pretty made pretty clear by David because you have Sandy Rodriguez, you have Richie Ledesma, and you have Maxie Morales, who are all really considered tens. Although Santi and Ledesma, we've seen them play on those uh, inside channels, those half spaces. So uh, there is flexibility now for Nick Cushing, that's for sure. The Gabby Pereira uh, story was also interesting. I'm almost, I'm a little disappointed in myself, Roberto, that I didn't follow up a little bit more on that. Because just to get a little more detail on the conversations, because it was a, you know, they were contacted in New York City by Al Rayad in, in Qatar initially, and then First offer, no good. I don't know how many offers it ended up being. I, I think it, it was like a half dozen. And then they final offer, no good. And then 24 hours, they made a second final offer uh, and the deal got done. And what the, I think the, it was more offers than that, the way he explained it. Um, and, and that's the point, right, is that they really wanted him. And then, you know, something that we've been told before, that they did this a lot for Gabi because the amount of money that he was going to get his salary was something like, 10 times the amount of salary that he's making. And so you can't say no to that, right? Uh, it, it just becomes really hard. You can't tell a player, look, I know you want to make $6 million a year, but you got to keep our $600,000 a year that, that we're paying you. You know, it becomes a point where you've got to become responsible for the player as well. And I admire that in the club, by the way. I think that that's good. And I know that it hurts the team on the field. And he said they really wanted to keep him for the rest of the season and then be able to sell him in, in January. But it wasn't going to work out. So they did what was best for Gabi. They did what was best in, in many ways for the financial interest of the club because they kept on getting offers and offers and offers. And it, become, it became a situation, and you're, you know, well, I'm a New Yorker, you're not. But uh, he got an offer that he couldn't refuse. And right. uh, at that point, you know, it, uh, it became clear that they, that they had to do it. But look, they went out and they filled the position. You know, they, they've got Mosqueda now. They've got uh, rather not. Well, not well Julian Fernandez is the, it was Fernandez the guy. Fernandez is the first and one, I think right. the, story, the story of uh, of of them, actually, it sounded to me like Pereira was chosen ahead of Fernandez at the time of getting the U-22 initiative deal for Pereira in. But they already he was already on the radar, so they went back out and watched him a little bit more. And, and, and sure enough, uh, uh, and the explanation of the MLS – you know, budget rules and the U-22 initiative that they could bring the guy in uh, when it's a little bit more difficult if it's just a regular salary cap guy. So go back and listen to that one too, everybody, if uh, that I'm going to because the budget rules uh, remain uh, confusing to me at times, Roberto. But the, the fourth well, you DP... You and everybody, you need to be an expert on that. I mean, and I'm serious. The budget rules, you need somebody who has such a level of expertise on that that you and I don't have. OK, and most 99 percent of the people don't have. And I would say there might be even be some teams that might have some issues with all of that. <laughs> no, it, you say there's some teams that don't know you how to need do a it, guru. You seriously yeah. need sure. a guru. Right. And maybe it's something that should be changed. And it's something that possibly is being explored, as you asked him during your uh, during your interview about the possibility of there being a fourth DP being added and the salary cap being elevated. I think it was something like the 27 million dollars i think that the key there and i'll interject quickly is that if and when that happens the only other major thing that the league could do and i think that they should do and they should add to this is that they've got to take transfer fees out 
Okay. Transfer fees have to be out of the equation when it comes to measuring salary cap. And that's really, really important because if you're going to be not only make doing business with Qatar and Saudi Arabia, which is going to happen because they're going to come and raid because they've got unlimited funds. Okay. They have unlimited funds, but you also have to be able to go out and compete in the general market. And you're going to have to pay transfer fees for players. And that can't be the difference between being able to bring somebody in and not bringing somebody in who's going to help. There is one thing that MLS has over the, the, the Saudi Arabian League, especially, and maybe even Qatar. Okay. And that's the way your family wants to live. Right. That's such an important thing. All right. If you're a player who's married, has a kid, has a son, especially has a daughter, Right. Saudi Arabia is not the place really for you. okay? because uh, it just the way that their restrictive society is. And the point being, do you want to really live in New York or do you want or anywhere else in the States or do you want to live there? Okay, and especially by the way, can I interrupt for a moment? A lot of New York City players and staff live in New Jersey. Can I just be clear on that? A lot of people that move and play for the New York City Football Club yes. live in New yes. Jersey. But go ahead. Because you, because Orangeburg is easier to get from Jersey than it is from New York. And the reason being, well, you know, you also have that $15 penalty called the George Washington Bridge to get into New York City. Yeah, so, I know. Uh, I, pay it, I pay it quite frequently. Yes, I, I'm aware yeah, well, of that. There's that. But the, also the other thing is that, uh, you know, it's a little bit cheaper to play, to, to be able to live on the other side of the river than it is on this side of the river. But we have our advantages. Trust me that we do. But quality of living is a big deal. And so uh, and how you know, your family is treated and uh, things like that. And especially if you're Hispanic, pretty much anywhere where you drop where, where they drop you in this country, you're going to find people who speak Spanish. And that makes you feel at home, especially if you don't speak English. Those things are important. And those things allow you to be able to compete for talent year round. And if you're if you're weighing an offer from Qatar and you're weighing an offer from a team from MLS, especially if you have, you know, if you're in Miami, you're in L.A., if you're in New York or you want to be in a quiet area like Columbus or Kansas City or, you know, name it. OK, you can do that and you can have the quality of life that isn't offered in many places around the world. Yeah, That's but if why it's all, so attractive to come. Yeah, but the other what's more attractive? Six million dollars or six hundred and fifty thousand dollars? Come on. Well, I mean, Gabi, but for Gabi, he's the, you know, I didn't think he had a girlfriend or anything like that. And it's Qatar and not Saudi Arabia, and that's a big difference. Okay. It's a really big difference. And so, yes, if you're single and you have the chance to make that sort of money, a hundred percent. A hundred percent you can okay. do that. Okay, but so you're not yeah, everybody's in that position. I know you, and you're talking about families. So uh, the the Neymar thing was brought up, and uh, it was discounted. Now I put this up on my Twitter at Glenn Crooks. What's your Twitter? Tell everybody what your Twitter is, Roberto. At Rob Abramowitz. At Rob Abramowitz, and uh, so I put up a clip of that and got a lot of response uh, from those also who are on the inside who feel like uh, they've got information suggesting that, okay, if Neymar doesn't come in this window, he's going to come in the next window, uh, the next summer window next year. So uh, I, I didn't go beyond that, but uh, David Lee made it uh, quite clear that uh, you won't see uh, Neymar in 2023 or I'm sure the early part of 2024, but you know, and you uh, know, Glenn, that 
as open as New York City is about transfers and talking about transfers and uh, players that are coming in and that they're leaving. Yeah. I you know. know all of that. Know. Yeah, he was really going to open up to us about. Yeah, Neymar. The way you know, the, 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 there's a push within the inside to be able to get him here for 2024, and you know what we're looking at that. Well, I thought uh, because I thought I might get more out of the budget thing because Farron Soriano's on one of these MLS He's budget committee, committees. Yes. So, uh, but uh, David claimed he didn't have any inside information. I don't know about that, but anyway, we talked. Well, Messi not that off. he was going to share with us. No, <laughs> uh, Messi. Uh, you know, you wonder what everybody feels about Messi if they're in a position like David Lee. And and he talked about how excited he was to see his opening goal, texting his wife and kid and, you know, the whole thing. So, uh, you know, what, you know, what this means for the rest of the teams, you know, that's and that's where I kind of tied in. Maybe the budget will open up a little bit because of Messi. It has to. It has to. I mean, for a couple of reasons. OK, I still don't know what kind of voodoo and magic. Okay, Miami, uh, Inter Miami CF is doing right now to be able to fit all these players in. A lot of it, I understand, is because they're in the second half of the season, and because you don't have to pay the, you're, you're only budgeting, you know, the ten or eleven games that are remaining, and you're not budgeting the entire salary. So players who aren't a DP today next year will probably have to be a DP because they'll have to uh, so, fit so them in. You're saying Chris Henderson has some work to do in the offseason. Is that what you're saying? Oh, my God. Does he have work to do? He's okay. got a lot of work to do because they're going to uh, redo the team. Tata Martino already went and brought in several players from Argentina, young players. And you know that once the season ends, he's going down to Argentina. And not that he has to scout much or anything because he has his own network and he's got his own people down there. And uh, that he knows who's good, who isn't, and who they're going to go after. And trust me, they're going to go after a lot of players, not only in Argentina, Paraguay, Chile. They're, they're going to go in and they're going to get a lot of South American players. They're going to fill in the, the needed roles that they have. Trust me, they're going to have to buy a few international spots uh, throughout the process. And then there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to be going as well. So that, that team is going, to be, is going to be transformed as of next year. And if MLS is going to increase the salary cap and increase the DPs and things like that. And I think it's good. And it's time for the other teams in this league, right, for the bottom feeders especially, that they're going to have to step up, right, that they're going to have to start spending some money and and bringing some players in. And it's good. It's going to be good for the league. You know Apple wants this, and you know that Apple – is going to be start is really going to start pushing, especially some of those teams, to start bringing in players who are attractive. Okay, who are going to be good for the league, who are going to be very good for the teams, that are going to make the teams perform better, and that are going to attract eyeballs. Okay, Apple has to sell subscriptions, not in America, everywhere, everywhere. And so, if you bring in the best Paraguayan player, well, maybe that's going to sell. You know a few maybe a couple of hundred thousand subscriptions in paraguay if you do the same thing in chile if you do the same thing and you know that's how you start building it right and it's not only going to be south america or mexico it's going to be europe and it's going to be africa and it's going to be asia this is the plan that's why they have a 10-year global deal and when you start bringing in players that have a high profile you have a better chance of adding subscriptions it's a business model They need to do it for performance on the field because they still have to compete, especially with teams from Mexico. Now we can talk about how well they're doing so far 
uh, with well, let's, me. Uh, but, but and we're yeah. going to get into that. But this is a business, and they need to expand the quality of players. Okay, one uh, note before we go to kicking it around. Uh, Julian Fernandez, Alonso Martinez, and Burke yes. Riesler, these new uh, incoming players for New York City, as of yesterday afternoon, still not in New York City, still not on the training pitch with the uh, Minnesota game looming on August the 20th at City Field. But, Let's kick it around, Roberto. But, no, no, wait, stop. Don't kick it around yet. But... Maxi Morales and Andres Perea have their visas. They can play as of August uh, 20th. They can play. Okay, now let's kick it around. <laughs> Woohoo! League's Cup. What's an interesting matchup? We're gonna we're gonna have a very brief kicking it around, Roberto. So let's just. I, I'd like to get your take. Uh, LAFC Monterey. Love that match. Uh, best that's, one. That's my number one. What, what do you have? Yep. No, no. That's my that's my number one. And anybody who Messi plays. Well, and, and I was gonna say <laughs> you're picking that over Messi. Messi Charlotte. That that game got moved. Yeah, I am actually. That game got and, moved or the time got moved? I forget. That game, it's now going to be on August the 11th. Now, they're all on Friday night, right? Yeah, everything's on Friday night. And yeah. uh, my good friend Tato Noriega, who's the president of uh, Monterey, and see how I just threw that in there, he's furious. He's absolutely furious, and he has every right to be. Uh, they were supposed to play on the 11th. Uh, Eddie Gomez, who does the um, who does the – Frontera, Frontera, uh, TV show, streaming show, podcast with me. Um, he put out a list of the travel that Monterey has had to do. And, I mean, they've had close to, I don't know, they, they have several 2,000-mile trips. They've crisscrossed the country. They've gone from Houston to Portland to L.A., back up to Seattle. I mean, it's been everywhere. I don't know if Seattle was one. Vancouver. I th- no, they didn't go to Vancouver. They did play one game up in, in the north someplace. Uh, but, uh, I mean, they've traveled everywhere. And uh, it has been very, very hard uh, for them. It's an unfair advantage that some of the MLS teams have as far as that's concerned. Right? Like LAFC, they didn't have to play the first round because they won. And then they've played all their games at home, uh, which have been two of them. So Monterey had to play two games before that. And then, you know... In, in this knockout stage, and they've been crisscrossing the country. So well, the only- it's been very tough on them. And they were supposed to play Saturday, and then right. it got moved to Friday. Right. And both LAFC were upset, and Tato was furious about the organization. Not only that, but the Me- now the uh, Mexican Soccer Federation sort of like weighed in to uh, support America in their loss with uh, Nashville, saying that refereeing has to be better and that the use of VAR has to be better. And it's bull. It's just absolute yeah. bull. That, well, go I, back. Mean, I understand. Everyone, you're, I agree with you. Everyone needs to go back and watch uh, the uh, the penalty where the keeper clearly goes off the line, and that's what everybody's referring to. And if, you know, you just – you can't really – I mean, he was clearly off the line. He hopped off the line with both feet, which goalkeepers yes. don't do anymore because right. of the goalkeeping rule. You could dispute the rule or not, but it, but it was really clear, Roberto. And well, uh, there's, there's three there's, – I've gone through this, I mean, all for the past two days because uh, I've been on – if you've seen my Twitter, 
I mean, it literally has been hundreds of tweets uh, that have been going back and forth. Uh, David Feitelson from ESPN uh, retweeted uh, one of the photos that I had sent him because he was about to go on the show. And I wanted to make sure that he understood, you know, that there was uh, that the referee got it right. And so I sent him the photos of Malagón stepping off and you can see clear space between him and the uh, and the goal line. But there were three different things that were that people were complaining about, especially America fans who, oh, my God, do they complain? Jeez. They never lose a game, by the way. Everything's always taken from them and stolen. America's never lost a, a game in their life legitimately. It is nuts. OK, well, so, Nashville, how about the, the video of Nashville getting showered on their way out of uh, that match? I yeah, mean, it was. Uh, it, it's normal and it's sad and it's infuriating. And that's why, by the way, remember that there was music on the uh, on, on some of the goal kicks uh, with, the, with the Atlas game, that there was music in the game um, at, City, at, at City Field. Do you remember that? That and was like, what is like? Why is they playing music within the no, game? I, and I, I realized know. it was on the goal kicks because they were afraid of the chant. And so they were. Trying oh my to God! No, I didn't. So I didn't notice that at all. I didn't notice. Yeah, that and at it's all. on yeah. every game. If listen to the games, okay, watch okay. the games, and and listen when their Mexican team's playing. Every time that there's a goal kick, well, listen, and there's going to be music playing every time on the goal kick. Anyway, so here are the three things that happened and what they were complaining about. One that um, Malagón allegedly didn't uh, step up. He did step up. Two that there was no reason to review that because the game had ended. Wrong. That is absolutely wrong. Because on penalty kicks in the VAR era, VAR era, okay, the, the game does not end until VAR completes the check on the penalty. Okay? So they check every single penalty. And as a matter of fact, there was at some point a rule or they had said no celebrating until we hear that VAR has confirmed that the goal is legit and that the game is over. And I don't know if uh, the referee in that game, when he was talking to the teams, reminded them of that or not. But obviously, when uh, Malagón stopped the penalty against Maher, they, uh, they, they immediately went into celebration mode. So the other thing was, well, why did it take so long to replay this? They're trying to give Nashville an unfair advantage because uh, they, they, they try to look for every angle possible to make sure that America didn't win. This is what they're saying online. And not only, not only fans, Glenn, but it's some of the media as well. And that is what's so freaking disheartening about Mexico is that you have media who are basically fanboys who have jobs on air, okay, and this is not everybody, but there's enough of them there, that they are openly rooting for teams and they're putting well, down into things that they shouldn't. When they when they wear their when they wear their uh, club kits to the games yes. to cover the game in the press box, I think you're. Yes. I, I think you get an understanding. And but so yeah. so yeah. what they were saying. Quick, uh, just let me finish because what, what they were saying was that why was there five minutes? They're trying to find an advantage. They're they're looking for ways to screw over our team, and they, and it's for them. It's our okay, our team over theirs. And what they didn't see because they weren't at the stadium. But, I mean, I was watching the game on Apple TV like everybody else, and I'm listening to what, you know, the announcers were saying. And there, there, was, a, there was a field invasion. Uh, fans from America went onto the field, and there was a problem with this earlier in the game, and that there were kids coming on taking selfies with players, and the security were doing nothing. And so they needed time to clear the field. 
But the referee, they were, he was doing his job and he's listening to VAR and he probably had 30 seconds, 45 seconds in, somebody from VAR saying, hey, there's a problem here. We're looking at it. And they probably had pretty quickly that he was off the line because it was pretty clear and that that had to be repeated. But it took five minutes to do because they had to clear the field. And so they're saying all these things were against them. And the other last one was that, oh, well, they looked at that one, but they didn't look at Layun's penalty that Panico stopped because he was off the line. Uh, I did. I went on my TV and I checked and I checked and I checked and I literally was able to stop it at the moment of impact at the ball. And Panico clearly has his left foot not only on the line, but mostly behind the line. And the other rule is not only do you have to have one foot on the line. There's some people say that you have to have both. It's not true. It's one foot on the line right. or behind the line. And you can do whatever you want with the other foot. But one has to be on the line and the other is behind the line. And. It is amazing how many pundits in Mexico and some here too, okay, that don't know the freaking rule and they don't know VAR rules either. And it's terrible. They go and they spout it on TV. They spout it on media and people repeat this and they show it to me as evidence. And it was nuts. If you go through my Twitter, I know it's all in Spanish, but you can translate. You should see what happened, you know, when it came down to that. It was amazing. And they still don't understand. Well, that's an issue. Uh, I think Monterey, uh, you know, what they've had to uh, go through and then have to play on Friday. That's an issue, too. And I would think League's Cup 2024 is not just going to be in the United States of America or North America because uh, there's been Canadian home games, too. So I think that's going to be how you resolve this is that teams have to have equal travel, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that they did it here because they were afraid. Well, first of all, you could charge more for tickets here and there's a whole bunch of things. But they're also afraid that nobody was going to go show up to uh, Colorado Real Salt Lake game in Querétaro. And by the way, nobody showed up in Austin to uh, Mazatlan against FC Juarez. So, you know, it doesn't matter. And the same thing happened with Querétaro and uh, Tijuana in Philadelphia, right, in Chester, Pennsylvania, there were less than a 1,000 people there. So, look, it's going to happen everywhere. It's yeah. going to happen everywhere. So, um, you know, they have to make it. It has to be one of the things that they do for next year is that it has to be played in all three countries. And you do you, you seed everybody by a points-per-game basis, and you do it that way. And, yeah. you, that, that, and it's fair for everybody. Well, they'll take a close look at it. Roberto, wonderful stuff. And uh, for those of you who may have missed a a portion or all of the David Lee interview, it's 35 plus minutes, part of NYCFC Views exclusively uh, here on our new podcast. This has been episode four, Roberto, four of many more. Yeah, we already did four. And and I think we'll see you again next Monday. And as uh, New York City approaches uh, their uh, restart in MLS against Minnesota on August the 20th, at City Field. So for Roberto Abramowitz, I'm Glenn Crooks on NYCFC Views. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast NYCFC Views on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.